Hey everybody, welcome to a new installment of Stuff Said. I'm your host, Greg Schiegel, and on this show, I, a working cartoonist, talk to other people in the world of comics, cartooning, that sort of thing. Today's episode, putting today's episode together, I'm not going to lie to you, it was a bear. This thing... Alright, so I recorded it, I was on the West Coast prior to Comic-Con, so this is back in July, and I sat down with Jim Kruger. Jim's a comic book writer, uh, he's a talented fellow, he's written uh, Earth X, Justice, his own series Foot Soldiers, among other things. Um, we talk about all that stuff, obviously, in, in this interview. Anyway, when I got back to New York, which is where I'm based, the, the audio... The audio was not great. Jim sounded fine. I sounded like I was straight out of witness protection. It was terrible. Uh, something had to be done. So I tried a lot of different things, a lot of uh, audio, digital manipulation. It was not working. So what it came down to was the ridiculous task of re-recording all of my own audio. I say all this for two reasons. One... Uh, to brace yourself, well, I, I'm overstating it. I'm definitely overstating it. But there are going to be a few cases where you hear maybe a little, uh, like a faint echo in the background, or maybe maybe the things just don't sound a hundred percent. But you're going to have to trust me that uh, it's better than the other option. Um, the other option, I sound the other option like this. How? When did you move? From New York to California, I don't remember. That's terrible. From New York. Terrible. You wouldn't want to listen to that for, for an hour. So I've made the, the I made the decision. I tweaked it out. I think it works. Honestly, it's a little I might be overstating it and, and uh, I'm, I might be making a giant mistake pointing out what what I think is wrong before you even get to hear it. But I do that for two reasons. One the, the aforementioned first reason and two as sort of um, I don't know if, I don't know if apology is the word but Jim was so nice to sort of, to, to sit with me it was middle of summer prior to Comic Con he had his kids with him he was going to Disneyland the very next day and he still took the hour to talk to me uh, we were at his home he welcomed me into his home uh, there's some background noise you might hear a, an airplane fly by or something but I, I did my very best, and I think I listen. I think I did a bang up job of making everything sound good, at least in terms of me. More importantly, Jim. He's going to come through nice and clear. You'll hear everything he has to say, and really, the stuff he has to say is the stuff worth hearing. So, I will stop saying stuff and uh, roll us right into my conversation with Jim Kruger. Recorded in July 2011 for what that's worth. Here it is. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Santa Barbara, that is. So, when did you move from New York to Los Angeles? I moved to LA roughly like four years ago. Okay, so it was fairly recently. Right. Yeah. It was, it was fairly recently, and it's been great. I mean, the time I was living in Jersey was 
was strange because it was so suburban and like family, like like a really family experience. And then New York, I was living in John Wayne's apartment on on 44th and Broadway, this giant two-bedroom. 44th and Broadway? Unbelievable thing for $500 a month. It was just like... But you were on 44th and Broadway. I was on 44th and Broadway. Land of TRL. You know, every time one of those stations would have a concert, there, like 4.30 in the morning, I would hear it through my window. Um, the, The last night I was in New York... Me and all my friends, we we opened up the window to my apartment. I was on the fifth floor. We took the tree and we pushed it out the window and let it drop down to Broadway. It was such a (laughs) it's time to leave New York kind of experience. I I worked on 44th and Broadway at Nickelodeon on the 41st floor. And you would hear the the screaming crowds when Christina Aguilera would be in the building. Well, I could see your building from when, across I, the street. When, when I looked out my window. Ugh. I, I don't envy that. Yeah. I don't blame you for moving out. But you know, how, how many people can say that they have a Toys R Us downstairs? That's true. So it was cool. With, with a Ferris wheel in it. <laughs> right. It, good, good point. Now, I first met you when you were in New York. You were working at Marvel and you were working in advertising. Right. And you have a degree in advertising. Yeah, I have a degree in journal in journalism with an emphasis on marketing. Okay, um, and that's from Marquette University um, in the Midwest. And you know, I I worked in advertising in Wisconsin before coming to Marvel, and primarily uh, those you know my my clients at that point were all agricultural. I remember um, for a while in my portfolio, I had print ads for Teat Dip which is what you rub on a cow's udders before you milk them. And it's like a disinfectant, but it's also like a softening agent. And, you know, my campaign wasn't met with as much enthusiasm as I, as I would have wished for. I, 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 you know, I heard that teat dip was teat dip, that there really was no difference. So I, I encouraged the pleasure principle suggesting that happy cows make happy milk. Which which is now which the, is now the campaign, ironically campaign for for cheese, California cheese. That's fantastic. You were in Wisconsin, the yeah. dairy capital of yeah. the United States. So, how did you transition from? I actually studied advertising in college. Oh, cool! I've never used it. I never used my degree for anything. Right. But how did you transition from advertising? I assume you were a copywriter. I was a copywriter. Yeah. So how did you go from copywriter in Wisconsin to advertising at Marvel Comics? Did you always sort of have your eye on comics and saw this as, as sort of your, your in into the business? Well, I, I think my entire career is, is people thinking I'm – like other people thinking I'm really ambitious when really I'm just quite ignorant. Okay. And, and maybe that's the key to something. But I never anticipated that I could even – you know, even when I had an advertising portfolio and I was out looking for work, I never dreamed that I could work for Marvel. Okay. And when I was at Marvel, even if it was for a couple stories, I never dreamed that I could actually have a career writing that. And, you know, when I was writing those comics, I never dreamed that some of those things could go into development deals with studios and that kind of thing. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I remember when I worked at Marvel as assistant editor, we worked together on mm-hmm. Nighthawk. Yeah. 
I remember when you were pitching around. I remember I'd go and talk to you and Vito. I'd go down to ninth floor and just hang out with you right. guys because it was cool and you guys were nice fellows. And I remember there was sort of a vibe in editorial, and I don't know if you were aware of this vibe, but there was a group of people in editorial who just they just did not they did not trust you. Oh yeah, no, no. So you were aware of this? Oh yeah, no. It haunts me to this day. So what was your impression of your reputation? Um, what what was good for me at Marvel was the fact that Vito and Jim Brennan really knew nothing about comic books. So the fact that I brought so much knowledge in just helped me. You know, because to a certain, to, I mean, to a real degree, they needed someone with that knowledge to be able to write ads, and I could write ads. And yet, as as soon as I was gone, as, as soon as I, if I were to have left, there was no one else down there who had that same working knowledge. Okay. And so, it was that I don't know where the um, where the reputation or the lack of trust that that editorial came from i think what it was was i think they were just pissed that i got foot soldiers going at dark horse <laughs> because because there was this thing that no one in no one at marvel and could work at another company yeah so how did you get around that well i did it the like totally honest way. <laughs> I went to my boss. I went to Sven Larsen, and and Marvel at the time had had a code of conduct book, and I read the code of conduct book. You know, <laughs> as I'm sure few have ever I, done so. I didn't. And there was a point, place in the book where it said that non-editorial people could do work for other companies or de- develop projects for other companies if it had first been. Pitch to Marvel, and so Foot Soldiers. I pitched to every single editor. I I remember Grunewald going, "Yeah, Jim, there's no way we're going to give a new writer a new book with new characters. There's just no way." And And what year was that? Like '96, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And what was interesting is when I started publishing Foot Soldiers through Dark Horse, Grunewald came down and said, I was totally wrong about this book. This character, Rags, is is so new, so exciting. Just keep on doing it. But don't tell anyone else I told you that. (laughs) You know, it was like that. Um, And, yeah, so... Yeah, so people were pissed about that, and, you know, I, I, I would have people, I would have other people come down and go, like, Jim, you're the most controversial person at Marvel. Really? That's so cool. Yeah, like like some editors who wouldn't, wanna, wouldn't want people to know, yeah. I remember there was, there was this definite, there were definitely editors who the attitude was, uh, that guy, if you give him a book, he's going to use his position in advertising to promote his own book over other books. There was... That was one thing I remember hearing people say, and then the other thing I think you disarmed. I think you disoriented people with your your midwesternness. Yeah, no, you're, no, of course. You're, you're just sort of um, geniality. Yeah, I think made people go like, "What is this guy's deal?" Because <laughs> yeah, well. you did a thing. I don't think I don't know if you do it anymore, but you would do this. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Good. Thanks for asking. But, yeah, I, I good. Thanks done for asking. That at all. But that yeah. was a thing that people like. He says it every time. He says it every time. I say, like, he's a nice guy. Or, or was it? Was it like a conceived thing that that's just you knew how to respond to how's it going with that? 
Yeah, well, I think what happens anytime something like that catches on, like where, where people begin to know you as it, yeah. they begin to go, uh, you know, it, it almost becomes shtick as opposed to being genuine. Right. So and where so would that, your I, spectrum? I cast it off after a while. Okay. You know, it's it's like initially, the you know, it's a bit. initially it was genuine, and then people would joke about it, and you know, I I'd be to movies with people, and they'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, uh, you know, you'd hear someone in the film say, "Thanks for asking me, Kruger," <laughs> you know, and then, you know. When I could feel like it wasn't becoming genuine in me, I was like, okay. That's a lot of self-awareness. Well, you know, you go through shit. Well, I'm just saying, you, you have, you're claiming ignorance, but you're quite self-aware. Well, I'm claiming ignorance in the beginning. Okay, so you learned quick. You're a quick study. No, I'm really a slow study, but the message stuck. Okay. I had no idea. Again, this is one of those things I want to talk about because I remember at the time and thinking, he seems like a good guy. He's, And I was very excited that Tom and I were, were working with you because your reputation was don't work with this guy. You know, that book, Nighthawk, yeah. there's one of the biggest churches in New York. The pastor somehow got hands of it, and he reads it every year. He and his really? wife, they claim it's like one of the coolest stories that they've come across. Well, I wanted to talk about that because it's... I seem to remember – I don't remember if it was from conversations with you or things I'd heard or, again, mm-hmm. the grapevine being what it is, is that you are are or were at some point uh, – the impression I have is that you were a devout uh, man of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we can talk about that. Was that the case? Is that the case? You know, how, how do I want to answer this? Because I, because I really – Because Nighthawk deals with uh, heaven and hell and – and an unnamed god, but certainly the devil. Right. And right. your other works certainly deal with the concept of good and evil in very sort of yeah. stark yeah. ways. Uh, far less, uh, well, you could explore areas of gray, but you clearly right. define good and evil, which could come from a place of faith and, and you know, church or right, right, whatever right. the case may be. No, that's good. Uh, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people, and some of them are pastors. I do have a faith of my own, but I don't really talk about it in in public circles. That's perfectly fair. And so that's that's why I um, wouldn't want to answer that. But that said, I feel like at the same time, you know, not too many people ask me this in interviews. So I want to give some kind of answer that gets into what I believe creatively. Okay. I think it comes out of the kind of stories I want to tell, and um, I think this could be helpful. I genuinely think it's impossible if heaven is real to show it. Okay. And if God is real, it's impossible to show him, you know, because he's bigger than the page. Like, I always wanted to do a one-shot of the Hulk in which every shot of the Hulk he was he was too big for all the panels. You never got the Hulk in full body in one panel. Like he was always breaking the borders and, and that kind of thing. I kind of think the same way if someone's going to try to depict God, probably fits. And really there's been no God in the Marvel Universe. I've always, always felt that 
the Marvel Universe, while um, is always more pagan to DC's kind of classic Judeo-Christian traditions. Well, there's definitely there's there's more shades of gray in the Marvel Universe. Oh. Yeah, and I think that that's really interesting. Um, and yet, Marvel has many more satanic characters, devil characters, and that sort of thing than DC. I, I remember, I remember having a conversation with Tom about. I think it was answering a letter in a letters page. I think it was for Ghost Rider, where Tom made it very clear that you can't. Mephisto is not. You cannot refer to him as the devil. We won't. We don't allude to God or the devil. That's why there's. That's why there's Mephisto. You know what? I... I think that's just right. I mean, I, I consider myself like a myth writer. I, I want to do myth, and I don't want to do true stories. But if there's some sort of element of philosophical or theological truth in them, then great. But you know, it's like it's like the movie Signs. It's like that movie asks us to believe in both aliens and Jesus at the same time, and that's just no good. You know, it's it's like. You know, asking people to believe in superheroes and Jesus at the same time, or Judaism. It's piling on. Yeah, it's like you never... It's it's like hard enough to get anyone to believe one thing in a story, and one thing convincingly to make it a good story. And as soon as you start, you know, making it like my agenda is a faith agenda, and there's this and stuff like that, unless it's a book that allows for it. Like Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider Omnibus recently that came out. Okay. I loved it. It was so much fun. And, of course, that's all faith and, you know, uh, demons uh, and I, stuff I'll like that. I'll plead ignorance on that. I haven't read it, but... No, it was a lot of fun. Okay. I was okay. really surprised by how much fun it was. But all that said, I don't think we can really mix these things. It's an it's, interesting it's concept of not... Your suspensions of disbelief, and you can only pile on so much before... Before, Before it, breaks. it breaks, and you're like, you know? "Come on!" It's almost like you see like a superhero movie. At least my reaction is, I see the real person in the costume, and it breaks it because it just a lot of times it just looks goofy. It's like Indiana Jones and Crystal Skull. Yeah. No. At a certain point, you push the limits too far, oh. and you lost me. I'm out of the story. Yeah. The other thing you did in the early days mm-hmm. for Marvel was time slip. Right. And I feel like time slip was almost like the thing, and I could be wrong on this too. This is, this is great. This is like Jim Crick's Greg Hour. Uh-huh. Uh, that seems to be the thing to me where you became the social butterfly, where you met artists and started connecting all these different right. people. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this. What's, what's really interesting was that my first job at Marvel was to promote Marvels with okay. Alex Ross. Sure. Alex was the very first artist I met once I was on the Marvel payroll, you know, going to a convention we met and I was supposed to promote Marvels and we became friends and in that first conversation we talked about how much we both like Machine Man. There's a through line. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. What's and, and he's in Chicago, right? So you're both right, Midwest right, guys. right. And we could both talk and, you know, and we both love Kirby. We had that love for Kirby, especially like 70s Marvel Kirby. And so it was part of Marvel at the time was doing a magazine called Marvel Vision. Sure, Tim Tui's magazine. And yeah, it was Tim Tui's magazine. And 
pretty much so just the way I approached artists was I was like, okay, you know, we're looking for a crazy redesign of, of a Marvel character. So you were approaching, like, basically it was a case of... Tim it was an assignment. Yeah, it was an assign- assignment, and Tim was like, I really like time slip, blah, 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 blah. Why don't, why don't you go and do this? And so I did it, and it got a lot of really kind of cool notice. Sure. Like, right away... And then, rather than tell the origin as people know it, I began to look at those designs and say, well, these designs suggest a different story completely. And so I would wait until the art came in, and then I would write a very small paragraph or two little text piece on how the story went this time. Right. And that started getting even more notice from artists, including Alex. After a number of years, we hadn't talked all that much, although we, we would be considered friends. And that just blew up, and it. I think I wrote two scripts. One of them became a comic, um, an Avengers comic, and one of them, I think, would have become a comic if I, I think the Image guys weren't coming back to okay. redo those characters, yeah. and those characters, we, we couldn't use them anymore. But what was interesting is Alex loved some of those text pieces so much, he would call me up and say, that's better than the real story. And when Kingdom Come came out, uh, Wizard Magazine approached Alex and said, uh, well, well, what we would like you to do is we'd like you to show us what the Marvel characters would look like old. Alex called me up and said, do one of those little text pieces here and here and here and here. And, and from that, EarthX was born. Yeah, after the text pieces came out. And basically, you know, it was just a Wizard article. It wasn't anything more right. than that. Um, but then the president of Marvel, Joe Calamari, at the time, sent down this sheet that says, I want this to be a book. Make it a book. Right place, right time. And also having that Alex Ross connection certainly didn't hurt. Yeah, no, no, no. No, it was really helpful. Now, that's the stuff that, I guess, made, made your name in mainstream comics. That injustice. This is the work you did with right, Alex, right, right. certainly. But as you said before, way before all that, the first thing you did was foot soldiers. Right. And in addition to foot soldiers, you also had alphabet soups mm-hmm. and clockmaker, right? Clockmaker and, and flyboys. Flyboys, yes. Yeah. So while all this stuff is happening, you're producing all these original concepts and original ideas. And this in the late 90s, you know, Marvel's in bankruptcy mm-hmm. and it's... Yeah, and, and Foot Soldiers is the only thing that came out while I was at Marvel. Clockmaker and Flyboys and Alphabet Soups was all after I had left Marvel. So how, just on a real basic level, you had really good artists working on these things. Yeah. How were you pulling that off? I mean, were you, I mean, and this I don't need numbers because that's gross, Mm-hmm. Were you paying people out of your pocket, or was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I was wow. paying everyone out of my pocket. So, how do you get to? Let me see how I can phrase the question the right way. And it's almost going to touch back on the faith question. Were you just so? Did you have so much faith in your own ideas that you were like, yeah. "I will"? Pay that was for it this exactly. Stuff. Was it? I was just like, you know, I just have to gamble on myself. Now, obviously, it helped that you had work coming in, you were doing the Marvel stuff. Yeah, it helped a lot. It helped a lot because, you know, what I could do is, like, there was was an amount of money coming in and, you know, I was able to spend some of it on, you know, 
on comics and the people I worked with, you know, for the most part would be would say things like, yeah, no, 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 that's awesome, get it to me when you can, or something like that. At one point, I borrowed money from my dad that I had to pay back, you know, and, you know, you just keep on making it work. It's, it's the, the long plan, not the short plan. And was there sort of an agreement with you and the artists that if this thing became a thing... If Swiss Soldiers makes it to another medium, or was that even in your in your sights? I mean, now you're. Oh, it was totally in my sights, okay. which is which is why um, everything I paid was a buyout. Okay, so like, you did everything work for hire. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, everything oh, was work done. for hire and blah blah blah. That's smart. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you know, if there if there. Smart on your was, end. If something happens, you know, I'd go back to those original artists and say, look, this is what happened. Blah, blah, blah. I made this and this. Or, so I want to give you a piece of that. Or you co-created, know. co-created yeah. by. No. no. But. But the law's on your. Yeah. And, and I wanted to keep it on. You know, I wanted to make sure that there wasn't. Because I kept on hearing stories like I'm a giant Alan Moore fan. And, yeah. you know. Alan Moore's whole thing with him sharing the credit with Bill Sienkiewicz on big numbers meant that there were no more big numbers once those guys split. Yeah. And it's like I never wanted myself to be limited by not being able to put out a book if if my passion was saying and, and my, my – and, and it was your wallet. My, my wallet was saying, yeah, I want to keep this going. Yeah, and you did. Obviously, on Foot Soldiers, the artist changed yeah, series yeah. to series. I had I had three really great artists. I mean, I had more than this doing pinups, but I had Mike Oming do the first major story. Uh, Phil Hester did the second right, major story. I remember. And Steve Yowell did the third. While Foot Soldiers became three trades and is a thing, Alphabet Soups was an issue. Was it yeah. more? No, no. I, I only ever did an issue. But what was great about Alphabet Soups is that um, it was so beloved, and and other than I think one time did I distribute, I just kept on printing them up for conventions, and I would have the same people come up being like, oh, you know, I have 3,000 comics, and my girlfriend just split up, and the only comic she took was Alphabet Soups. But I've got a new girlfriend now, so I want to buy two copies. (laughs) You know, it would be stuff like that. In terms of concepts, Alphabet Soups was... So easy to digest. It was, it was like a children's aspirin. It just, you know, twenty six yeah. superheroes each. Well, I'm working one. to do more. I've, I've got stuff in the works it's, to do more. It's so. a really fun. I mean, yeah, when thanks. you told me about it, I thought that's that's a very clever, fun thing, and it's all right yeah. there. It's it spells itself to well, put it out. Yeah, and you know what's what's interesting is is to take a concept like that and think about it in terms of TV and some of the things I'm I'm thinking of with that now is all of a sudden no show is going to let you have 26 major characters yeah. so you have to figure out ways around that yeah. yeah and so you know i have and i do but like i said i'm a really slow learner the other one i remember flyboys i don't remember as well i remember it but clockmaker was interesting yeah. just by virtue of its format which right. as i right. recall did not fly um you know comic shop owners didn't like it and then i had a change of artists and that didn't go well and then i had a divorce go through it and so you know it it all kind of came unwound you know since you brought up punning earlier with um and so that's something that 
because that's a really personal story and because I was getting great reviews and response, it's something I have to go back to. It's something I have to fix and put together. And I've actually reworked part of the story in the mix of it all that makes it better. So um, I totally look forward to the time I can do that and fix that storyline. We talked about you always had in mind that these things could leapfrog into other media. You're now right. in Los Angeles. Right. And you're working in in other media. Right. How How is that now? You know what? Let me rewind a little bit. When you were in Wisconsin mm-hmm. doing advertising, right. there must have been a notion in your mind, I want to make up stories, I want to write mythologies. Right. I was, I was clearly in Wisconsin thinking, is writing about tea dip all there is to life? Right. But you're right. I mean, obviously you were doing advertising, so you had this notion of an audience and communicating a message to that right. audience. I mean, that's the essence of advertising, finding your audience and right. zeroing exactly. in on them. And then you went into comics. Was comics, and I know sometimes there's an attitude about people who use comics and step into the next, to another field. Um, right. And some people take an attitude where, you know, that comics are the pure thing, which is perfectly reasonable. All these attitudes are reasonable. Were you in the back of your mind, while you may have been ignorant to the workings of all of it, was the goal always... TV, movies, Hollywood, or not necessarily? No, well, I think at the beginning there was never a goal at all, which, okay. which is probably the problem of my life. You know, there was never any goal. There was never a, it was like I was that person in college who gets a degree without really knowing why he got a degree. All I knew is that I could tell some jokes and I could think kind of abstractly and put some words together and so advertising seemed like a creative kind of fun thing to do but when i was a couple pages into the first script of foot soldiers or the first pages of art of foot soldiers yeah and i did a three-page storyline um that the great late mike parabek uh love mike parabek um he he drew those three stories as well as a couple pinups for me, and then I had two versions of inks done. Okay. Um, and the first was Parabek inked by inked by Steve Pugh, who I lo- I love Steve Pugh's work. And then the second set was um, Mike Parabek Mike Parabek inked by Teddy Christensen. Interesting. Which was miraculous. That. That's got to look like something. Like, it was so, so beautiful, too. And um, so I had, like, these sketches from different artists, and I had that three-page story. And so I I actually haven't even started working with Mike Oming on this yet. But I'm in the back of a bus from New York going out to Montclair, New Jersey, and I meet a, a guy who's at the from looking at the Toy Fair, and I think that was the time when they were relaunching the Johnny Quest um, Real Adventures, the new his new cartoon okay, series, sure. and uh, he, you know, he was like, "Oh, what's your what's your thing about?" And I told him what Foot Soldiers was about: the story of these three kids who go to the superhero graveyard and they rob the graves. Yeah, that's how they get their powers. And he he asked me a couple more questions. He goes, "Oh, that's really good." Gives me his card. I really don't look at the name on the card. Um, and he goes, 
uh, why don't you come by the office? Uh, I'd like to talk more about this. And it turned, and, and he goes, because I work in film and TV. And I was like, well, would I know anything you've done? And he goes, uh, we, we just... We, we just did Batman Returns, and it was Michael Uslan oh, wow. that I was talking to. And so before I was even a published comic book artist, there was a guy there saying that idea would make, would make a great film. And so I, I, never entered the com- I, I never entered the comic field thinking that anyone would ever let me write comics let alone that they could become movies, but then this was thrown out there right away at the beginning. Before you were even yeah. on, on, on the runway. And so that fucks with a person. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, <laughs> and it did me. So yeah. did, it, you know? did it make you approach your creator-owned – obviously it made you approach it in that you were doing buyouts, but you were, mm-hmm. you were sort of keeping the properties yours. Yeah, but I was already just kind of thinking that because I was so afraid of anyone telling me I couldn't do more stories. Yeah, yeah. because of the legend right. and the past and the business. Right, right. So now you 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 talk. I'm gonna. I'm about to feed you. Oh, good. You've talked a number of times of just these these interesting coincidences. You know, you meet Alex Ross because you're pretty Marvels, and then you meet Michael Uslin on a bus going to Montclair, and it seems like you somehow, I, through your, I don't even know what the word would be, you're finding people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what had Oming done before Foot Soldiers? I wasn't familiar with him really before that. I think he did an issue or two of um, Judge Dredd for DC. So let's, let's who else you got? Oh, oh, right, right. This is this is who have I helped get started in the industry? Not even that. Just who have who have you come across that you know hadn't been come across before? I think everybody has stories like this. I remember meeting Marcos Martin. Oh, who's so amazing? Yeah, he, he'd come over from Spain and was showing work at Marvel, and I I was pushing very hard for him to do the book based on the cartoon Avengers United We Stand, and we paid him to do samples and the whole nine yards. We ended up going with a different artists, but I was this close. I was this close to being the guy that that helped Marcos Martin get his start in the states, and and right. I love that he's doing so well and kicking butt on Daredevil because there's a part of me that can look back and say, "Me at 24, I saw it," and, and I feel like you've had a lot. You've met a lot of people. You've had connections to people who've gone to things that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I'm really proud of all the work that Paulo Rivera is doing yeah. at Marvel. He's, he's also um, on Daredevil. Yeah, and and Paulo was was someone I met. I, I met him and his dad at a um, at a convention, and I think Alex and I were signing at it. And he came forward. And he was a giant fan of Alex, giant fan of Earth X at the time, and um, Paulo became a friend and you know I, I would start giving him money to do some foot soldiers pieces for for me and it was kind of like some of his first paid work and was he painting at the time or drawing he was painting okay, at the he time was he was painting and sculpting and um and then once his portfolio was done and there was another project that that he and i began to work on and once all that stuff was done you know i said come and Come and set up a time in New York. I'll get you into Marvel. 
uh, I'll get you in front of Joe. I'll introduce you around. And and pretty much so I brought him in and I introduced him to Joe. And Joe was really excited by, by what he saw. And Casada, you know, signed him to an exclusive almost immediately. Wow. And now he's drawing Daredevil, my favorite Marvel character. Okay, so another name you mentioned to me, off mic, but I'll mention it for you. Oh, good. Gerard Way. Yeah, of yeah. My Chemical Romance. Yeah, no, no. A rock star. Yeah, Gerard's been a friend for <laughs> so long, and we met on a train. You're meeting a lot of people on public transportation. Dude, it's the way. Well, you just got to get in a place where you're going to meet people. But no, I, I met him on a train. He was sketching. I think I was reading some comics because I would read comics on a train. Um, on, on the train home every night only because everyone on this train would be so excited about comics and I would get all these stories you know guys being like oh I remember when my dad you know bought me this comic or my mom threw hers out and people would just like I made so many pe- friends on a train just by reading comics and always being willing to not read if someone wanted to tell me their nostalgic stories so Gerard was there and he had been interning at DC at the time and his art was so cool. Like, it was really cool. It was really fun. It was, you know, it was like, I think Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol was coming out at the time. And okay. I was like, why can't Gerard, like, guest draw an issue or two of those? Because it was just that cool. And he was like, yeah, no one at DC's reading my stuff or checking out my art. No one will give me a chance and blah, 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 blah. And so... I would start paying him and taking him out for lunch and blah, blah, blah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. And then My Chemical Romance hit it big. And then whenever Gerard and I would be in the same city at the same time, we'd get together for lunch. And he was showing me um, some of the early ideas for Umbrella Academy. And it was it was something, I think it was the Umbrella Brigade at the time. Okay. And, and he was like, yeah, I think I want to do this as a comic. I don't know how in the world I would do that. And I was like, here's how. And I called Dark Horse and I called, you know, the editor and put, put, put Gerard together with Scott Alley. And then, boom, it happened. So something you said before struck me. So you're, you're on a bus, a train or whatever, and you're reading comics and people are excited about comics. Right. And a lot of times you hear, at least in those days, 98, 99, everything's crumbling down and the readership is constantly shrinking. Mm -hmm. But clearly people like this. There's something that draws people into comics. There's something obviously that draws out us as creative people to comics. Yeah. Do you have a theory on just where the disconnect is? There's clearly an affection for it, but it... It just doesn't have the mass appeal it has in the 50s or 60s or 40s or what have you. Well, I I don't know if I have a theory, but I have many words. <laughs> and I could just start throwing things out. and Because I think that everything is so holistic yeah. that it's never... It's it's never you know just one thing. There's no straight line. Yeah, it's like it's like if someone's not doing well in their life, some people will say it's because discipline or some sort of mental disorder, or some drugs or spiritual or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's always probably a mix of everything, and things are kind of mysterious at the same time. They can be understood. So 
let's see. There's all the talk about emerging technology and that sort of thing, and that's good. Yeah. You know, technology should emerge, and we should find new ways to enjoy things. And, you know, I used to collect Viewmasters, and I haven't looked at one in a long, long time. Sure. So, and while we don't want comics to go the way of the Viewmaster, things go certain ways. And Viewmaster's gone, but you can certainly still watch a PowerPoint presentation, right. which is essentially right. Viewmaster. And to a certain degree, Viewmasters are like comics, too. Yes. So, you know, it's just a different way of looking at them. And so I I, I get the technology thing. Um, I, I also think, you know, there's a sense that, you know, when, when business is good... The companies put out bad work. All right. When business is good, there's there's, and and everyone's buying anything because I remember the early '90s, and that's that's of course very different people than who are in charge yeah. of the companies now. Um, but in the early '90s, so many of those books look like crap, you sure. know. And so many of those books, it's like if you put Wolverine in it, whoa, you know, it sold like crazy. And it really wasn't even a good book. Yeah. And, and you know, so so there's a quality issue. And then there's what I would call the underrue issue. Underrue issue. The okay. underrue issue. I, I think based on that name, I get it. But let's hear it. Well, the underrue issue is like is like this. If, if you know that Spider-Man's got to be on pajamas and underoos nothing can really happen to spider-man okay and nothing can happen to batman for long nothing can happen to captain america or all these big characters ultimately have to be these characters again within a year or two Mm -hmm. even if you kill them or change their costume or whatever the licensing branding and this is of course the advertising needs to blend with the adventures because if a kid is, you know, has a pajama that looks like Batman, and then he grows to the point where he wants to read a Batman comic, but it's not the Batman costume that he pretended to be. You know, not only is he not interested, but there's been a break between who he thinks Batman is and who Batman is. And that affects any of the potential following of Batman and love for Batman that that would be, especially if it's on a level of a comic book. And and I think to a certain degree, if if you have you know three books, four books that have Spider-Man, three books that have four books that have Batman, what can really happen? So the underroot issue is. Is, is the idea of brand all fitting together. The brand has to match the brand, has to match the brand. And that's mm. the underrue aspect of it, which is why, you know, Spider-Man's no longer married in the movie and never was married in the movie, so we have to make sure he's not married in the comic book. There's all that, but also matched to that is the issue of stories mattering. When, when you have... 500, 600, 700 issues of a book, how can the adventures matter? 
They can't. And so people who follow comics, they begin to say, well, that's the Frank Miller era, or that's the Alan Moore Swamp thing, and that's really the best. And maybe they stick on with the character. I've, I've read Captain America and Daredevil like pretty much so my entire life. And I think my, my collection on Captain America goes back to issue 100 and continues on from there. So I've kind of got them all. But, you know, at the same time, there have been a lot of bad issues. And if I was really going to be, you know, fair to, you know, fair in my pocketbook, I'd be a fair weather fan. Which is part of the problem yeah. in the industry. You know, so, and there's probably more, but that's a lot of words already. So I understand what you're saying about the underoos problem, Mm -hmm. but is the underoos problem, is there a solution? Because I feel like it can go two ways. One is obviously you can't stop doing underoos, but sort of draw a clean line and say the underoos is one thing and Spider-Man in this comic is something else. And that's for people who read comics and there you go. Mm-hmm. And the other option is to say the underoos are now the leader of the pack. The comics have to follow that. And the people who have been reading Spider-Man forever, sorry guys, but there's a whole new crop of readers that we need to talk to because they're buying underoos. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think I have an answer. I don't think I have a solution at all. I think it's, you know, if you take a book, like if you take the Harry Potter books in mm-hmm. which he grows grows and changes over seven years that's one thing right you know and you had all kinds of kids not with under rules but but dress for halloween in their frocks and stuff like that and you know the seven years are up um and so we're looking and we're trying to understand well what's the next harry potter what was the next star wars you know right all all that sort of thing and neither of those were serialized over more than six movies or, yeah. or you know, seven books. And that was maybe 10, 15, a 10 or 15 year time. Yeah. And yet, you know, Spider-Man's been going for over 50 years. And to that end, the seven Harry Potter books will be there. And a yeah. kid at nine can start reading them at any time. Right. Where do you take a nine-year-old? To read Spider-Man. Where do they start? Used to be that any issue could be a start point. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other... Yeah, no, no. That's another set of words. And and it's a problem. And and it either suggests... It either suggests a approach that says... See, I think the problem is that comic books are TV, not film. Okay. I, I think... And, and comic books as TV are almost like the best of our long arc TV shows right now, or they're soap operas. Yes. It's like in every issue of a comic book, and these aren't my words, these are Sam Raimi's words. Okay. Um, Sam said every issue of a comic book has to, has to propel the story forward a little bit more, but it also has to remind us why we like that character in the first place and why we want to be around for another issue in the first place. Yes. It's almost the, the, I remember Mark Carlin saying it and he might've heard it from whoever was, but every comic is somebody's first. Well, 
but it's also the next issue in the series of a comic. So you need to sort of it's in, a, in, a, it's, in a dwindling it's market. Every comics. issue is somebody's yeah. last yeah. too. Yeah, you know, the challenge of writing comics is is making it, which seems to be a challenge people are ignoring. Writing for right. inevitable collections and stuff that challenge is gone. When people do it well, you're almost you're, you're thrilled to see it. Right. Well, well, the idea of a trade. Yeah. The idea of the trade and the the maxi story or the mega story is is pushing comics to to film, pushing it to finite yes. stories as opposed to the the serialized ongoing. You know, I'm really excited about the Avengers movie, but I'm scared of it too. <laughs> because because of because of the whole alien Jesus thing because of the whole um, mixing of metaphors you know it's like we go see Thor and okay I believe in the God of Thunder and then we go see Iron Man okay I believe a guy can build a suit and then we see Hulk and it's like okay I can believe a guy can turn himself into a monster like this and then we see Captain America okay I believe that there are tests that can turn him strong and, and I be frozen do believe he can be frozen <laughs> and awaken here. And and I, I can believe that in a two hour finite story that puts it all together. But when all of a sudden you take all those and put them on the screen at the same time, it's like wow. You know? But it works in a comic book. It works in a comic book. It's 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 the beauty of a comic book. Yeah. It's all. Does it it's, work on film? It's drawings. It's you know, it remains to be seen. Well, but and it's it's tricky. And that that same trick is like the Green Lantern problem, you know. And not that I'm saying the Green Lantern problem movie was a problem. I'm not saying anything about the Green Lantern movie. What 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 I'm saying is that you know, it's one thing to have one guy with a ring, and another thing to have Thousands? the entire core. Yeah. You know, as far as believability. Yeah, yeah. You know. So now we're we're talking movies. We're talking TV. Sure. Let's get back to, let's talk about what you're doing. And I know there's things you can't talk about. Right. But you're in Los Angeles and you're working in the bigger media. Right. TV? TV and film. And film, both. Yeah. And you're working for in the same way that you were. In a little gaming, I've I've done oh, some really? gaming. I, I wrote the script to one of the, um, yeah, one of the Mortal Kombat games. Okay. And it won a Spectrum Award. It's the nice. only Mortal Kombat game to ever win an award for best for best game. Very so. cool. Um, so so you're you're working for an unnamed big studio. One big mm-hmm. studio. Yeah. Or multiple, or are you? A couple, you know, couple big names. A couple of them. So just in a short origin story level, are you, I assume you came out here, got yourself an agent, you did all that, or are you so self-starter that, <laughs> so industrious that you somehow pulled off? Well. Or was it comics work? Was the comics work the thing that sort of gets it you? It was so many things. Like, my, my the, the lawyer that I have is, is a lawyer that I, um, I met years ago that a manager, before I even came out here, he was a manager that I had and, you know, was part of the negotiation for a foot soldiers deal and basically 
a manager's job is to kind of make some of those introductions. So I got a great, great lawyer out of that. Um, and then I no longer have that manager, but I met my new manager at a party. All right. The, and, you know, that's kind of how it does because, you know, I, I think I was, I, I was with ICM at the very beginning. With Foot Soldiers Got Me ICM because I had a deal that someone wanted to make. And, of course, if you have a deal someone wants to make, there isn't an agency around that won't be like, oh, yeah, no, Jim, we, we would love to take care of that for of course. you. You know, so I was with ICM, and I'll never forget the, the issue of because I became friends with Michael Uslan. Like he's a great, great guy, um, and you know, we were talking, and I, I mentioned that he had become a friend, and and my agent at the time said, you know, Jim, Jim, he, he didn't call me Booby. But but you could have imagined that Jim Booby. Yeah. It's, it's not show. Friends, Friends and show, it's business. show business. And you know what? Everything I've ever experienced is the opposite of that. I think he's completely wrong. Because we only work with people we want to work with. Yeah. Or people who are so giant we're willing to put up with all the crap that we know we're ha- going to have to swallow in working with them. But, but even that, if, if work is a pain, no one wants to do it. And so... It's all about show friends, and what was what was good. And I mean, this is a little more personal. Is is when I went through my divorce, it was a really bad time. There were just financial issues, divorce issues, kids taken to another state, and me barely holding on for rent wise. Mm-hmm. Just. But what I got after that was a year of partying in New York City. Yeah. In John Wayne's apartment. You know, and what that did is it opened up to me. And this is good because this will get get to some of the thanks for asking stuff. So it's all coming full circle. All right, great. Um, what, what it did is it completely changed the way I wanted to be seen or work with people. It was like it was like one of the, one of the missing ingredients in in me was the fact that um, I just didn't know how to get along with people, hmm. and um, the person I was married to was so ultra religious she was almost hateful, and I think I carried some of that with me. And what happened is I needed to learn how to party with people and how to be friends with people and how to be genuine with people instead of, you know, a, hey, thanks for asking, kind of kind of asshole. And huh. and so I get why that was there. I hate that there are probably still vestiges of that out there, but I get why it was there. And so that was a, that was really a missing ingredient, ingredient. And I'm now thoroughly convinced that Everyone needs to party in New York for a year with as many different people as possible. If only to learn how to get along with as many different people as possible. Now, is that about the same time you shaved your head? Uh, a little bit after that. Okay, because I remember that was like a physical manifestation. Yeah. Clearly yeah, a physical no. manifestation of change. Right, because right. I remember seeing you and it was like, holy smokes. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and I think you lost weight. Yeah, no, no. I started rutting and, in fact, that year... That year, it was really like two years I was in New York. 
I also trained for a marathon and ran that. Yeah, you were like a changed, like a physically changed right. person. Right. Interesting. I got the, now I have the story. Like the whole, uh, there's no. more to it than just, hey, he shaved his head and but, lost some weight. You know, what's really interesting is coming out here to L.A. and really starting to listen to people. I also think, you know, both between EarthX and Marv and, and Justice, I was such a young, untested writer. I mean, the fact that I got to do those books is really the testimony of Alex's desire to work with me and not really my knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, truly. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, foot soldiers, I, I think there's a reason, I think foot soldiers is almost me knowing how to do it more than Earth X and Justices. And it's really interesting because when I go to cons, I always get people coming up and going, foot soldiers was the first book that I told other people about. That's flattering. It's still my favorite thing ever. That's great. You know, and that's why I'm putting it. That's why I'm putting it out again. Oh, so, yeah? so see, I get to do a plug during this, even though that's not the purpose of this thing. That's perfectly you know, fine. If if look, if this helps you sell copies of Foot Soldiers, that's yeah, great. No, no, no. It's 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 okay. Um, but what I, what happened when I came? Wait, wouldn't how much of a jerk would it be if I just cut out the plug? Yeah, no, no, Just no that's cut fine. The whole you know? chunk. No, 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 no do, do it. It's it's good. Um, but there was another element missing, and and this relates to the what what I'm going to call is like I'm really proud of EarthX. I'm really proud of Justice, but I feel like especially EarthX, the storyline was just lucky. Like the reveal of everything and the way it came together and the fact that you know. Joss Whedon in articles would be like, yeah, I'm reading that thing. That's the cool, you know, blah, right. blah, blah. I was like, it was so lucky and it was just kind of. But you had to find that nugget. Yeah. No, no. And I did. But I mean, and... that's the problem solving. That's the storytelling puzzle problem no. solving part. Yeah. And yet, you know, I mean, even when we worked together, Greg on Nighthawk. Yeah. I, I didn't know what a beat of a story was and people would say yeah just just mark out the beats and i would go oh yeah okay and i didn't even know what that meant so was tom helpful with that because i feel like tom's tom's strength in a lot of ways when i was there was i feel like i have such a bad relationship with tom really it's just like i mean yeah, i don't know i feel like i feel like i'll never get to work with tom again and... well tom is now a in a major yeah, position so. There, so it's hard to say what'll happen but i feel like i mean again i was his assistant i certainly could i wish i could have a good sit down with tom me too that's that's i would like that that would be good um but i feel like you know his thing was always he was always very story centric right back then and you know and and i think tom was helpful i think i just i didn't even have necessarily years to hear it yet i mean how how old are you at that point I don't know. I think i i think not not that we have to assign an age on you we are in hollywood yeah, dude, I'm not going to do that, you know. I don't talk about faith. I don't talk about age. I don't talk about politics. All right. <laughs> now let's keep talking about Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, all right. Because we keep hearing yeah, off. Yeah, so, no. so I'm going to be quiet, and you... Oh, good. You I tell mean, me... Good. This, I like the discussion. You tell me about your experience working with a studio, and without telling me what you're doing, tell me what you're doing. Well, what's what's been great is, you know, when you're a young writer, 
And, and this even relates to what we were just talking about with Tom. When you're a young writer, every note you get is a threat to who you are. Every criticism you get is, is painful and, and it hurts and it, it goes in deeper than it was ever meant to because, of course, the editor's trained to do this and he or she doesn't mean anything bad by it. But when you're on the receiving side and you've just gotten those first couple, it's, it's like killer. And I think in somehow learning how to be friends in New York... Um, before I came out here, it helped me figure out how to hear criticism. You know what I discovered in, in Hollywood is that, like, the different studio heads, they just want to do good shit. Good good things. Good shit is an oxymoron. But, but maybe not necessarily. They, no, 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 it's not. They want to do good shit. And, and it's, it's everyone's trying to do... Their, their best, and a lot of times they don't have the answer. But if you listen, as, as thankfully I've learned to listen, um, you, can, you can hear someone say, you can hear someone say, yeah, this right here doesn't, do, does, doesn't work right, um, so maybe if you did this, that would fix that. Or you should do this. And I've been in meetings, and I said, oh, and I've, I've been in meetings where I've been able to say, oh, but if I do that, then we'll lose this other piece that you like so much. So why don't we just keep on talking a little bit and we'll see what comes. And that has transformed all my meetings. I, I talk to other writers out here who are like, what? You like the nose process? You, you like blah, working it out? And I'm like... Yeah, I, I think people just want to do good stuff all around. And it's been really, really helpful. And it's made things that I've been working on that no one will see for a while yet so much better. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for all the people I've gotten to work with. It seems like you, you've, as someone, you know, as a writer in comics, you have to collaborate because you can't draw your own story. And obviously you've done that. You've done it to, you know, a decent amount of success in the world of comics. It seems like that and in your personal experience have made you almost embrace collaboration in a way that can that seems to only be helping. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. So much so. But it, it's it's interesting because I've been paired with people in the past too who don't understand story mm -hmm. and don't understand structure and don't understand um, what what a friend of mine calls the the tyranny of narrative. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, and and then it's like it's really difficult because you're constantly trying to work through a scene. You're constantly trying to work thing. And it's like no, because this happens, this has to happen. And they're like, and they're like, oh, but let's break the rules. Let's not give people that. And I'm like, but then people will be unsatisfied. And then I look like a schmuck. You know. And so, it's. It's it's really about finding great people to work with and staying with them. You speak well. Your words work. Nice. You must be a writer or something. You know, one of these days, I'm working towards it. I love to hear that you're doing well. And, you know, 
from working on Nighthawk and the fact that you were nice enough to sit down with me for an hour and talk. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> but, cool. But, you know, for me, you're Hollywood Jim now and you're taking your time out. For me, it tells me the value of relationships you hold. You know, it's not show business. It's show friends. Oh, <laughs> love when a cliche you know, works to our advantage. Yeah, well, you know, you asked. Thanks for asking. Oh, that's it. We're ending right there. That was awesome. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. That wasn't bad at all, right? I overstated it. I'm sure I overstated it. How about this? You let me know. Was it terrible? Was it great? Did I overstate it? You can email me at stuffsaid at gmail.com or leave a comment at stuffsaidshow.com. That's the website. You can listen to the show there. You can listen to it on iTunes. You can listen to it at acmewaveprojector.com, which is where you'll find other shows, including the Acme cast. I mention that because my friend and fellow cartoonist, Brian Smith, who you'll be hearing from very soon on this show, was a recent guest on the Acme cast. Why is that relevant? Because he is doing a comic book through Third World Publishing called The Intrepid Escape Goat. It's awesome. I recommend you go pick it up. The second issue should be out now. It's a three-issue series. In that second issue, I illustrated four pages of a comic called Cupcake and Orange. Watch how this all comes around. Written by Polly Watson, who was Jim Kruger's editor on Earth X. How about that? It all wraps up to a, a nice little bubble. Um, so there. I don't know what else I could say besides that. Go pick up the escape goat. It's awesome. Thank you for listening. StuffSaidShow.com StuffSaid at gmail.com Oh, iTunes. Go to iTunes. Click that five-star thing. Make me look good against all the other comics-related podcasts. And uh, that's about all the stuff I have to say. See you next time.